0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez.
1: Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Rocket, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. really want to thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews. That's our Apple podcast site. You'll be able to learn more and also give us a rating and review because that's the feedback that we enjoy hearing so much from you and make it the best to follow up with you on the way the show is performing for you. So without further ado, I want to welcome my outstanding guest. Her name is Deborah Gordon. She's the senior fellow at Mosavar Rahmani Center for Business and Government at the Harvard Kennedy School. She's had an enormous amount of experience in healthcare, some population health, but she's also been Chief Executive Officer at Voxant, as well as served as Chief Marketing Officer for Network Health. She's got a wide variety of experience, but I'm so happy to welcome Deb to the podcast. Welcome, Deb.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. And so, Deb, you and I had a a chance to connect before the show, and you had some really compelling stories, but I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to get into healthcare to begin with?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, when I was in college, I took a course called Culture and Health, and it was like a sociology course or an anthropology course, I'm not really sure. It wasn't even my favorite course of all the ones I took, but it was so captivating, this idea that health is not sort of a pure science. You know, I thought, oh, that's biology. Actually, it's culture and it's nuanced. There's not hard and fast definitions in the way that we think of as sort of scientific fact. And I was really taken with that, that notion that we sort of look at our own health, our own bodies through a cultural lens. And at the same time, I was really troubled by the idea that not everyone has access to healthcare. And so when I got out of college and learned you could actually work in the field of public health, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. So I fell into that and, and I haven't really looked back.
1: Wow. That's so neat. And, and just, you just never know when it's going to hit you, you know, and for you it was, it was that class and it wasn't even the funnest, but it just struck you right. and it was amazing. This idea that culture is health. Awesome. And, and so cool that you ended up in this realm of public health because it is basically around culture, right? Our behaviors, our norms, our customs.
0: And now politics. So, you know, here I am at the Center for Business and Government, where we actually look at the intersection of policy and practice.
1: Yeah, that is so neat, Deb, and what an interesting journey that you've taken. So what would you say, Deb, is a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda, and how are you addressing it or thinking about it?
0: Yeah, I think it has to be consumerism or the role of consumers in healthcare decision-making. It sort of falls into the category of one of those things that people who aren't in the medical field actually can't believe we have to talk about mm-hmm. or say out loud what do you mean the patient isn't at the center of healthcare already? Who is? But if we're honest, those of us inside the industry, it's not always or often the patient or the consumer. We've designed our system around doctors. I'm married to one. So, you know, that's great personally, but actually as a patient, there are a lot of challenges with that. Uh, we've designed a system around insurance payments and financing. Our employers are involved for so many of us. And I think that what's getting lost, something that's gotten lost in in the way the system has sort of developed over time is the individual consumer.
1: And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, this idea that the health consumer is at the top of the healthcare organizational chart, right? If you have the organizational chart, I just had a guest that said, we drew one out and where the CEO usually is, we put the patient.
0: Nice. That's fantastic. And I think it'll pay that organization back. You know, I think functionally I'm a marketer and marketing people, good marketing starts with the audience. What does the audience need? What do they care about? How do they receive the information or the message you're trying to convey? Not how do we want to convey it? Totally. And I think that's missing in healthcare. I I think
1: that's such a great call out, Deb. And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts for the listeners as far as how can you put the patient at the center? What do you do? How do you do it?
0: Well, I think it starts with actually believing that they should be there, that they should be at the center. So a values judgment or a value, placing a value on putting the individual at the core. I also think some honest reflection on How has it been? You know, who are we really designing for? And I think some organizations have done a great job of this, but most, it's not a fault. It's just a function of historical artifact. And so I think if if folks could honestly look at where does, I like your analogy, where does the individual sit in the org chart of that entity or that service model or, or whatever it might be? have to get really honest about that. And I, I think the best way to stay, either get or stay honest, is to actually talk to the individual. So what I'm doing is research about consumer behavior, or consumer attitudes, specifically in purchasing decisions in healthcare. So how do people think about spending their healthcare dollars? Yes. Well, the very first thing I've been doing is talking to individuals and asking them, how do you think about this? How does it feel when you're in that situation? What do you wish were different or better? And I think it really starts with being open to the message, knowing you need to ask, then going to ask, and then authentically listening to what people have to tell you. They'll tell you, you know, they'll tell you what they need and want, what they like, what they take away from what you've tried to convey and what they haven't.
1: Deb, I think that's so interesting in your approach. You know, you've got a very methodical approach and, and a very honest and also simple one, which I think ultimately it needs to be simple for it to work. Today, we have a, a system that pretty much functions in such a way that the healthcare providers are really Providing services in such a way that payers pay the majority of it or the government pays the majority of it and then the consumer finds themselves in the center without any control. But now with increasing deductibles minimums, this is starting to change. And so I really find it interesting that you're you're sort of tackling this topic in a time when we're seeing this shift, the average deductible plan being about three to five thousand dollars.
0: Right. And forty percent, roughly forty percent of Americans are in what's considered a high deductible plan. So their deductible is at least $1,300 or more. And that's not even the whole of it. You know, people are paying more and more out of pocket for co-payments or co-insurance. And so taken together, there is this increased consumer financial responsibility. In fact, I think about a third, not quite a third, 28% of healthcare spending in the United States is coming out of an individual's pocket either through out-of-pocket costs or the consumer share, the family's share of the health insurance.
1: That's big Significant. dollars.
0: And it, it's big dollars. We spend more than $3 trillion on healthcare in the U.S. So roughly a third of a little more than $3 trillion. I think it's time to pay attention to individuals in the purchasing decision
1: that processes. totally agree with you. What would you say an example of how An organization that you've worked with or just how this idea has been applied successfully?
0: Sure. I'll go back in time. I'll go into the Wayback Machine. Um, Let's do it. I had an experience early (laughs) on in my time. I had joined a Medicaid health plan in Massachusetts as the director of membership marketing. I grew in that role over time, but that's how I started. And one of the early challenges I was handed was figure out how we can attract more members, and keep more of the ones we have. Mm -hmm. And in a Medicaid managed care environment, it's not so simple. In fact, the product is free, so you can't differentiate on price. The benefits are mandated, so you can't differentiate on sort of assortment or or the product itself. You can tinker on the margins pretty much. Mm -hmm. And we were in a a market where the provider-payer relationships were pretty fixed. That changed over time, but at the time, there wasn't much you could do about who was in the network and who wasn't. That would be another place where health plans typically would differentiate. So we had this idea to look at what we called extra benefits. Okay. Uh, those additional services or, or benefits, discounts, movie tickets, subway passes, small things that might induce people to join or to feel good about the plan and stay. And what did we do? We were good marketers. We started with consumer research. We did focus groups and we did a quantitative survey and the results were so clear. The number one thing that would change someone's behavior in terms of a health plan selection in this market was access to dental care. And it was like dental was the number one by a mile the next Amazing. was vision and then you know this other stuff we were talking about they were like you could give us movie tickets that's great but it's certainly <laughs> not going to change our decision about our health yeah. insurance so i was pretty bummed out because you know i did not have in the budget certainly not in the marketing budget you know yeah we'll just add dental benefits uh, right. for adults on our plan so i kind of dismissed it and i thought well that's too bad we can't do anything about it and one day we were in the middle of this process and I had this thought and it was so simple. And I just thought, this thought popped into my head, well, what if we could do something about it? Like, what if we could? Yeah. And I just posed that question back to my team and they went off and got really creative. And we basically came up with a pretty innovative dental reward system and we designed a reward program for people who were, in our plan for a certain amount of time, we would resend them a health assessment or a health screening so we could sort of stay on top of what was going on for them. And if they filled out this really lengthy survey, which helped us understand our membership better, they would get a reward card, like a gift card that could only be used at a dental office because it was a gift card. And you and your listeners might know that, you know, if you don't spend the money on a gift card, it, it, it. it goes back. Well, right, you the consumer lose it, which meant we the provider of that gift card did not have to pay it. Got it. And so what we did was we were able to create this pretty innovative, uh, not a comprehensive dental benefit, but some step in the right direction for what people had told us loud and clear they really wanted. We had a huge response; we had thirty percent response rate, and at the same time,
1: it's pretty big. People,
0: we had one. Yeah, it was. I mean, for a survey, let's call it a survey. It's huge you know, that's for a fundamentally survey, right? what we were. 30%, huge, man, right? It's huge. Right. And then people would take this gift card and go to the dentist and use half of the value we had loaded the card with. Or we had one, I remember we had one member send us the card back with a letter that said, I don't need this. Like, I have, somehow he had access to dental coverage, but I really appreciate that you've done it. Huh. And I can with high degree of confidence, say <laughs> that became a very loyal member, even though he yeah. didn't even use the reward. And so I think that's a case of, you know, it's a sort of quirky case, but it's like you hear, you ask what people, what do you care about? You have to listen and then you have to translate that and be really open and really creative. How can we, trans you know, how can we accommodate that need or recognize that need? We certainly couldn't, institute a full dental benefit out of the marketing budget. But we did come up with something that generated or provided real value for folks.
1: That's pretty interesting, Dab. and appreciate you sharing that. And you sat there and you got the knee-jerk reaction that we all get. You know what? This isn't possible. And friends, we've all sat there at least once or twice every single quarter or even the year, let's just be conservative, for the year and said, we can't do this. Yes. Well, take inspiration from Deb. She basically dug deep and had an epiphany. She said, you know what? How can we do this? And figured out an innovative risk-sharing way that put herself out there in a way that created loyalty from these people using the plan. What can we do within our organizations to, number one, ask those questions, get the feedback, listen, and not stop at, this can't be done?
0: And if I could add something to that, I really think it's important if you can engage in that process to develop a thick skin. I can't tell you how many times in organizations people have looked at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) Um, And I've just decided that may be, I may be crazy. I might be wrong. I mean, that's also part of risk taking is being willing to be out on a ledge. But if you're right. if you go out on a ledge and you're right, you can become a hero and drive you know real results. So you might be wrong, you might be crazy, or you might be onto something. But until that answer is clear, people might look at you like a little funny. And I would just encourage people to be brave about that and you know not worry about it. So what? So what if you're wrong? What if you had a wild idea and it was wrong? what if you're right? Wow.
1: What if you're right listeners? And, and Deb, on that topic, you put yourself out there. You're, you're taking a risk. Can you share with the listeners a time when you actually had a setback and what you learned? Oh, sure. Yeah,
0: sure. I wish I could say that was a hard question. Um, (laughs) actually what's hard is which setback to choose from, because of course, if you're going to take risks, and put yourself out there, you're going to stumble. Totally. Uh, so a really, a really tough one for me. Also at the health plan, I had taken over responsibility for leading our business development efforts. And, you know, when I started at the plan, we had one product, we were a Medicaid product, we went through a healthcare reform in Massachusetts, we had two products, and we had this opportunity to continue to try to grow. But we also had a lot of entrenched sort of assumptions about who we were as a plan. We were the small uh, Massachusetts health plan. And I thought, well, we can be bigger. We do a really good job. We had very high quality ratings. We had very low administrative costs. We were really doing a good job and we had grown tremendously. So I led a charge to try to diversify it into another state. We'll just leave this name of the state off. But I, I led the charge and I said, we can do this. Of nice. course we can do this, guys. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And we, I basically practically lived in this other state for a few months. We got to know all the players. I arranged so many meetings. We listened. You know, I took my own advice. We actively listened. We we asked folks, what did they care about? What did the state need? What was going on in the Medicaid program there? And how could we make a difference or make an impact? And then we poured all that good research and sort of market knowledge into our proposal and i i don't think i went home for dinner for like 3 weeks before the wow. proposal was due i mean i poured my heart and soul into this thing and we didn't get it uh, and that was crushing. a real tough one crushing it was terrible it was embarrassing it was disappointing it was surprising because i really thought we had done such a good job yeah. and so i know you're going to ask what, or i think you already did ask what did i learn from that or That's right. you know what did i take away And a couple of things. First of all, around the same time, we had put in a much smaller proposal for a smaller piece of business and a smaller change to our business. And we got that one. Nice. And it ultimately contributed quite a great deal to our business, our business success. And it that sort of juxtaposition reminds me that, you know, you win some, you lose some. It's kind of basic. But the other thing it makes me think about was, I had actually, in order to get people excited about the process of going for it, I had used an analogy. I had said, guys, to the leadership team, let's say, we have to think like venture capitalists. Venture capitalists don't only place bets they know are going to yield. They place a lot of bets. And they know most of them are going to fail. But the ones that hit, that's enough. It's what they need. And you, in order to get the ones that hit, you have to place a lot of bets. And so I found myself reminding myself of my own coaching Mm -hmm. and that mentality that was, you got to try. It's sort of like we said, you've got to sometimes go on a limb and you won't always, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And I had to to reteach myself that. I took it pretty personally. You know, I wanted, I like to win. So I was not happy, but it did remind me, you place a lot of bets. In business, and they don't all actually have to come through.
1: It's a great lesson, Deb, and, and really appreciate you sharing that. You know, in, in healthcare, especially, we've got to be willing to take some risks to make the changes that we need to make the healthcare system more accessible. So, kudos to you for doing that. And let's take those risks, listeners, and let's make sure that they're calculated risks, but let's not be afraid of those failures that come out of them because they're lessons. There's lessons in them, and they're, they allow us to be stronger. Deb, tell us a little bit more about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today.
0: Yeah, so I could talk to you about the research that I'm doing right now, which at the Kennedy School, I had this idea that we talked a little bit earlier about how much money is coming out of consumers' pockets into healthcare spending and how maybe non-responsive or not designed around the consumer our industry has been. And I have this hypothesis that while it feels like a mess, it's fixable. So I'm doing research again, starting with consumers, to understand what are people's experiences, how did they experience the healthcare system and specifically financial decisions in healthcare. And I'm hearing all kinds of interesting things. It's still pretty early and what I'm hearing I'll say are starting to sound like themes but not concrete findings yet. But I could share a few. Um, Things that I'm hearing. So, so first of all, when I ask if somebody's willing to meet with me to do an interview, to be an interview subject, a research subject, a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't know anything about healthcare, but I'm happy to talk to you." And so that's fine. I don't care if you know or don't know. I just want your experience. And yes. when I get into an interview. Everyone has an experience, actually, and everyone has the ability to reflect on that experience. And what I'm hearing is a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration, but also some really clear, I think, glimmers of opportunity. So there are different kinds of people. Some people do all their research and they go into the doctor's office or their health plan, you know, enrollment time, and they know exactly what they want. I talked to a guy who had a really clear articulated process for making healthcare purchases, he would say. I think about the criteria, what do I care most about? I research against those criteria, I might ask around, I make my decision, period, the end. It it sounded so simple, like buying buying a car or a refrigerator. And I asked him, do you make other purchases this way? And he said, yeah, I make every purchase this way. And then I've talked to people who are really, Oh, almost sheepish, but they say, you know, I have spent more time picking out furniture or comparison shopping for a car than I have for, for a surgery or a health plan or my doctor. Mm-hmm. And they kind of say like, oh, sometimes I'll ask, you know, did you inquire about that? Did you negotiate that price? Did you ask that question, whatever it might be? And they'll say, again, kind of sheepish, like, oh, I didn't know it was negotiable. Or, oh no, you're right, I should have done that. I'm like, no, I'm not actually telling you what you should do, but did you? And it's just amazing what I'm finding that people are able to negotiate and are able to price shop in lots of other markets. They literally don't even think it's a possibility in healthcare, like they need permission almost or someone to tell them, you could do this. My very question makes people think, oh, Oh, I'm supposed to do that. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't even know I could. And I'm really just trying to get their experience. So I think if a question prompts that kind of response, then certainly concerted efforts on the part of industry participants or campaigns to help people understand how to think about shopping for healthcare services. I think there's a lot of potential opportunity there.
1: That's pretty cool, Deb, and and exciting. Do I see a book coming here? I don't know, maybe. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you might,
1: you might, exactly. Or even even starting with a blog that I think that that kind of blog that would get a lot of followers.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to count you as my first follower. You 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 promise. (laughs) They all heard it.
1: (laughs) As soon as it comes out, let me know, Deb. I'll definitely be reading or listening. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that you're so right about is patients, Feel like, yeah, you know, they just have to accept whatever's out there. There's an opportunity for an educational campaign. And who's going to own mm-hmm. it? You know, who's going to own that campaign?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's the hardest question because it's for, on two levels. One is whose interest is it to have more educated consumers? I've actually talked to a lot of consumers who say they're pretty skeptical about the industry. Mm -hmm. And they blame insiders. They say, I feel like, I mean, consumers who, remember, they told me I know nothing about healthcare before they started this conversation, will, in the stories they tell me, say, I kind of feel like it's this way on purpose so that we stay confused. We, consumers, stay confused. And that doctors, hospitals, health plans can sort of keep doing things the way they've always done them. If I, you know, if they were to sort of teach me how to do this or ask the right questions, things might have to change. And it seems like, and I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing what I'm hearing, it seems like the industry doesn't really want to change. And so I think there is a huge opportunity for someone inside a health plan, a hospital system, a coalition, and a professional society to sort of break through that uh, negative perception and actually own the campaign and say, hey, we hear you. We're going to be all about you, the consumer. Barring that, you know, barring some really brave and uh, visionary leadership from inside, it's going to, as most disruption does, come from the outside. And, you know, maybe it'll be a book that I write, or maybe it'll be this campaign charge that I, I lead, but someone's got to do it. And actually, lots of parts of the industry need to do it. And I think there are really solid ways of engaging consumers, but it takes effort, it takes commitment, it takes philosophical desire to actually empower and enable consumers.
1: Deb, I think you're right. And and you're so passionate about this that I think something is is emanating. It's in the works. I just see it. I see it. I feel it. I know it's coming. (laughs) Deb, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 course or the ABCs of Deb Gordon. So you and I are going to write out the syllabus (laughs) and I'm going to give you four questions, lightning round style, and then we'll finish it up with a book that you recommend to the listeners you ready
0: sure yep
1: awesome. ready. okay what's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes
0: yeah I think the best way is to actually think hard about and be honest about what outcome you're trying to improve so I know because I was inside this industry that we measured a lot of stuff that we called quality, just as an example, that had very, very little to do with outcomes. Outcomes are hard to measure, so we pick process interim steps or process measures that we can at least quantify, but they're not really getting at the core issue. And I can now say this from the consumer's perspective as well. I've always sort of had this feeling like we're not measuring the right thing. But consumers define quality very, very differently from one another and from the industry. So we would measure how many folks got their well visit and does not come up in a consumer's view of quality or or positive outcomes. So I think the first thing is know what you're trying to achieve and really go after that. It might be harder, but you'll get closer to it.
1: What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: Yeah, I think I call it staying inside the jar. So once I was at a conference, and I heard a fellow presenter say, it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. And I co-opted that phrase. And I wrote a whole piece for the HBR, the Harvard Business Review blog about that, how you have to get outside the jar, so to speak, you have to get out into the world. You have to ask consumers, what do they care about? How do they experience things? Because too often we stay inside. We talk amongst ourselves. We've developed our own language and consumers are calling us on it. My research also, a very consistent theme, which won't surprise anyone or shouldn't, is people don't understand what we're talking about when we write in our own healthcare language. So really getting out of our own environment, thinking about our business and our services from the perspective of the folks we're trying to engage. I have a quick example. I know this is the lightning round, so I've probably over <laughs> overstated, but can I get one quick example? Go for it. <laughs> okay. Thanks. So I, I you know my most recent role was uh, executive role is leading a company that customized electronic health records for community based providers and one of the things I learned, not about the company that I was working in specifically, but in that industry, is the technology we ask clinicians and clinical staff to use looks nothing like the technology they're using in their day-to-day lives. So at work, they're using this relatively old, very cumbersome technology. And at home, you know, every single person who works in a hospital or a healthcare clinic at home has a smartphone, you know, it has mm-hmm. the latest smartphone, and it's getting used to that much different and more usable interface. And so I think it's not just about getting outside of your own jar and looking back in from the outside, it's actually looking across and what's happening in the, the world that is influencing how people think and what people expect. I think too often we disconnect those things.
1: Great analogy there, Deb. I totally agree. And and listeners, what are you doing to get out of the jar of healthcare and start looking at it from the eyes of the the patient, the person? Deb, how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: Yeah, I think I'm just a broken record. I think it's really getting out into the world and talking to folks and asking hard questions and being willing to take the real feedback about what you're doing. Folks will tell us. They'll tell us when we're stuck, you know, we're missing the mark or we're becoming irrelevant. And then it's for us to adapt with that feedback.
1: What is one area of focus that should drive all else in your organization or company?
0: So I think it's really about getting to know your customer. It's so basic and it sounds so dumb when, again, it's like, do we really have to say this? Everyone thinks and believes they're focused on the customer. But if you're really honest about it, you really know what your customer is feeling, experiencing, needing at this point. And so I think always engaging in authentic inquiry, asking and listening for that feedback.
1: Love it. And Deb, uh, what book would you add to the syllabus here?
0: Yeah. So one of my favorite, my favorite healthcare book, it's called The Healing of America by T.R. Reed. He's a journalist. So he writes in a sort of journalistic style. And this the author has traveled the world and he describes, for those who haven't read it, he basically describes a lot of pretty dense health policy content, comparative systems in a very uh, great kind of storytelling manner. And he actually visits a lot of different countries and exposes their healthcare systems through the lens of himself, his own experience as a patient. And it's just a great way to get a, a glimpse at the world and to really put our healthcare system into perspective.
1: That's so awesome, Deb. He went out there and he put himself in other jars. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then stepped outside Good of one. I think that's great. So listeners, please go to outcomesrocket.com slash Deb Gordon and find the show notes of today's podcast, as well as a link to the book that Deb just recommended and all of the things that we discussed here in the 101 course of Deb Gordon. So uh, (laughs) I really appreciate you guys tuning in. And Deb, let's conclude with a closing thought from you and the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you.
0: Sure. I really believe, and again, I may be wrong. I just don't think I'm wrong, but I really believe that healthcare organizations ignore or underestimate the consumer or consumers at their own risk. That the world is changing and in a generation, I don't think it's tomorrow, but at least in a generation, if not sooner, healthcare organizations will be answering to consumers. Folks can find me on Twitter at Gordon Deb.
1: Awesome, Deb. Listen, I really appreciate the time that you spent here chatting about some really important stuff with our listeners and so looking forward to staying in touch with you and maybe even seeing that book
0: (laughs) (laughs) sounds good i really like your confidence i'm gonna carry that around with me for a while thanks for listening to the outcomes rocket podcast be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes resources inspiration and so much more